everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Monday, October 9th, 2017. That, of course, Joe Jackson with Stepping Out, leading us off. Big show to get to. We've got Major League Baseball playoffs, pro football, and college football as well. Uh, Another uh, somewhat hectic day in the NFL yesterday. On and off the field But we begin with the MLB playoffs And I guess we'll start with the Yankees and the Indians Yankees keeping their season alive last night Great effort out of Tanaka, seven shutout innings Great work by Chapman out of the bullpen Um, Two plus innings And uh, the home run by Bird Yankees win one nothing going to play tonight it looks like it's rained pretty much all day here but uh looks like it's rain has stopped all indications are they will be playing on time around i think seven o'clock it's about five thirty right now but we go back to the game friday night which was brutal if you're a yankee fan um you know and it's funny so indians win game one Terry Francona opts not to start Corey Kluber on normal rest um, so that, A, he could have him for a potential Game 5 on normal rest, and B, uh, Trevor Bauer had been on fire. He was 9-1 in his last 10 starts with a sub-2 ERA. And C, had the Indians lost Game 1, then, you know, ostensibly you have your ace, you know, everybody's presumed Cy Young winner, Corey Kluber, going in Game 2 to even the series. Well... Bauer completely dominated the Yankees in Game 1, uh, had a one nothing lead. And so, of course, all the New York papers, all the genius writers here, all the guys, all the baseball guys, pretty much declared the Yankees dead. They had no shot against Kluber. And, of course, what happens, Kluber throws up a stinker. You could tell from the first inning he had nothing. The Yankees took advantage, jumped on him early. Uh, then the Yankees added on against their bullpen, against Clevenger with another two-run homer. To go up 8-3 after the Indians had cut it to 5-3. And things looked great. And then Girardi started overmanaging. Took Sabathia out inexplicably after 77 pitches. Um, and Sabathia had been cruising along and retired 11 out of 12. Uh, went to an overtaxed bullpen because the Yankees had to play the playing game. Because they only were the wild card. And this, by the way is part of the punishment that should be in order for any wildcard team, be it the first or the second. And that is you have to play an extra game. And so as such, because Severino was so bad in the wildcard game against the Twins, Girardi had to use Robertson for three innings. You could tell he certainly was not as sharp as he normally was. He had to use Chad Green in that game. He certainly was not as sharp as he normally was. The velocity was still there, but you could tell, you know, Jan Gomes, who struggled all year for the Indians, fouled off and squared up a bunch of pitches off Chad Green that normally he would have been struck out. So that's part of the punishment for not winning your division is you have to play that play-in game. And if that play-in game is a hard-fought win, that's what happens. So the Yankees' bullpen already taxed because of the play-in game against the Twins. Girardi inexplicably pulls Sabathia. Then you have the whole controversy around the ball that hit the bat that was a foul tip in the glove for strike three would have ended the inning. Home plate umpire said the ball hit Chisholm Hall, awarded him first base, and then, of course, 
Lindor answers with a grand slam to cut the lead to 8-7 with, you know, whatever it's called now, progressive field, I know it is Jacobs field, in Cleveland going bananas. And it seemed pretty much at that point, even though the Yankees still had the lead, the Indians were going to come back and win. Most of my Yankee fan friends, AG included, I think felt that way. He was not pleased, of course, after that, nor was my man Justin. Um, and uh, then Jay Bruce with a big home run off Robertson in the eighth to tie it. And then game goes to extras, and Jan Gomes wins it with a uh, double down. The, well, it ended up being a single, but base hit down the third baseline. The Yankees had a chance to, 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 to go ahead um, in extras after a gift. Uh, an error on a routine ground ball by the Indians. Put a runner on second. Girardi pinch runs for Todd Frazier correctly with Torres, or Torres, rather, uh, who then, you know, on the bun attempt, and you see this happen sometimes. I mean, look, it can't happen, but you see it happens. Guys stray off second base too much, anticipating that the bunt's going to be put in play, trying to get a good jump and get to third. But um, I believe it was Ellsbury missed the bunt. And uh, they threw down a second. Great throw by Gomes. Initially called safe upon replay. It was clear that he was out, overturned, and that was a huge play in the game as well. So if you're a Yankee fan, that game had to drive you crazy. Um, but, again, came back last night with a great effort uh, and won one nothing. I mean, that game basically last night, two things, two, two, essentially two, two at-bats defined that game for the Yankees. One was Aaron Judge robbing the home run from Lindor. And I think it would have been a home run. It would have been close, but um, it looked like that ball was probably going to go over the wall. It's hard to tell because he's so tall and the fence is so short in right field that he barely, I mean, I don't even think he jumped. He just reached his giant (laughs) arm and hand up there and caught the ball. By the way, the only bonus, if you're not a Yankee fan, was that he uh, kept that ball away from that Tool that total clown who basically keeps going around the stadium at Yankee Stadium to collect baseballs. So that's his thing, man. He likes to catch home run balls. I won't even dignify this tool's name with uh, this this idiot's actions by by naming him here on the show. Um, so that was a bonus, uh, <laughs> uh, a nice unintended consequence, I guess, if you will. Uh, so that obviously was a huge play in the game. So there was a run on first. It would have probably been a two-run homer. And then after the Red Sox got uh, Red Sox, the Indians got a runner to third after the Kipnis triple with one out. Jose Ramirez authored an atrocious at bat. Uh, struck out. Didn't swing a one pitch. That was a strike. Now, if you're a Yankee fan or the Yankees, you say Tanaka pitched pitched them tough there. Pitched great. You know. Um, eh. I mean, none of those pitches were even close to strikes. I could understand if they were nasty pitches that started out in the strike zone and then, you know, dipped out of the strike zone last minute. These pitches started out low and then ended up in the dirt. Uh, And Ramirez, who had a great year, who was rightfully in the conversation for MVP, we talked about him on the show all summer, 50-plus doubles, you know, 28 or 29 home runs, 100-plus RBIs. I mean, he's been a godsend for the Indians. Uh, has not had a strong series so far, and that was a particularly poor at-bat, obviously in a big spot there, because the game was still scoreless, would have given the Indians a one nothing lead. Uh, Jay Bruce looked, after having two really good games against the Yankees, looked completely overmatched last night as well. Um, Tanaka, listen, Tanaka had his good stuff last night. 
He's been very hit or miss this year for the Yankees, and they got the good version of Tanaka last night. So, listen, kudos to the Yankees. Uh, they didn't go down without a fight. Uh, would not be shocked to see the Yankees win tonight either, by the way. Would not be surprised. And, and, and lost in last night's game as Carrasco pitched a hell of a game for the Indians, too. And then, inexplicably, Andrew Miller, who's tough as hell on lefties, gives up a home run to Greg Bird, of all people, with his 190 batting average. Yeah, I know. He's a power hitter, blah, 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 and he was hurt. I, I get it. Um, if you're Andrew Miller, you can't be giving up a home run to Greg Bird there. Sorry. Um, but uh, in any event, so uh, we'll see tonight. I believe it is Tomlin versus Severino. Let's take a look. Let's take a look here and see who is slated. Oh, Bauer's going on three days rest. Interesting move by Francona. Wonder if this is a bit of a panic move. On first glance, it appears to be a panic move. Hmm. And Severino will be pitching for the Yankees. 7-0-8 start. Um, so there you go. Would not be surprised to see this go to a game five. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go on record and say the Yankees do win tonight, and we'll see you in Cleveland for game five. Corey Kluber on normal rest, and I will predict now the Indians will get it done in game five and take the series. Um, so you got that game. You just had Houston close out the Red Sox. Uh, got up 2 nothing. Absolutely shredded the Red Sox pitchers. Uh, Sale was awful in game one, got hammered in Houston. Uh, um, uh, Pomerantz, equally terrible in game two, hammered. Astros lineup, we talked about it all year, devastating. There's not an easy out, one through nine. They have guys on base almost every inning. They get base hits, they hit home runs, um, doubles, the whole thing. I mean, it's a great lineup. And, you know, their pitching was good enough. Red Sox with a bit of redemption yesterday. David Price, in particular, coming out of the bullpen and pitched four scoreless innings after Fister was also bad. I mean, the Red Sox starting pitching in this series was just miserable. Um, and uh, so the Red Sox had a nice little day for themselves yesterday, winning 10-3. to And then today just got closed out 5-4. Chris Sale redeeming himself, coming out of the bullpen, pitched four innings, scoreless, Farrell got himself thrown out of the game defending Pedroia early in the game who was arguing balls and strikes on a, a pitch that was not strike three with the bases loaded and one out uh, early in the game. I think the Sox down 2-1 at the time. Um, but if you're Pedroia there, uh, you know, listen, you, you got to say your piece and move on. And you, don't, you don't put your manager in the situation where he has to come out and defend you. And he's been around long enough to know better. And... Um, so who knows if Farrell was really pulling the strings and making the calls, but to have Sale come back out for that fifth inning was idiotic. You had it set up. The Red Sox did have a lead finally at 3-2. You had it set up to go with Addison Reed for maybe the seventh and eighth and Kimbrell for the ninth. There's Addison Reed for the seventh, and they brought Kimbrell out in the eighth anyway. And By the way, he was bad too. He gave up two runs. Red Sox ended up losing 5-4. But uh, bad managing. And by the way, bad managing also by A.J. Hinch, um, although he got away with it. Uh, Charlie Morton was pitching great and giving up one run in four and a third innings and was pretty much cruising. And then he pulls him for Justin Verlander, who'd never made a relief appearance in his major league career. He promptly serves up a two-run homer to Benintendi, and now the Red Sox have the lead 3-2. 
Again, he got away with it because the Red Sox managing was equally, if not worse, bad. Uh, man, yeah, and the Red Sox bullpen was lousy. I mean, other, I mean, Sale was great for as long as he could be. Again, probably went out there for an inning too much, pushed the limits too much on him, and then Kimbrel was not very good. So there you go. And of course, Car- Carlos Beltran, former Met, off the bench. Uh, with a big extra insurance run to make it 5-3. And then Devers hits an inside-the-park homer and the leading off the bottom of the ninth to make it 5-4 and give the Red Sox fans a little bit of hope, but it was not to be. So, listen, I know I was not that high on the Astros. I went on record as saying it. Uh, I thought they were in better shape with uh, once they got Verlander. Uh, give Ken Giles credit. I've been down on him all year. He pitched very well today, two innings. Gave up that one inside the park home run, which is a bit of a fluke. I mean, the ball was smoked. Um, Springer in center tried to catch it, and then by the time the you know the ball ricocheted off the wall, and then you know went you know 200 feet away from him, past anybody who was even trying to back it up. So, um, aside from that one blemish, Giles was very good today. So, you've got one team already in. I'm predicting the Indians in five. Over in the National League, you've got the Cubs-Nats tied at 1-1 in that series. Nats won game one. I mean, sorry. Cubs won game one. Nats won game two after trailing 3-1 in the eighth. Cubs bullpen, which has been shaky outside of um, Wade Davis, uh, gave that game up. Home runs to Harper and Zimmerman. And they're playing now. Score 0-0, I think, in the third inning. Uh, I, I got to. I have to admit, I have very little interest in that series. I don't like either team. Um, I just want the Nationals to lose so that they can keep saying that they've never won a playoff series. Because <laughs> I really dislike the Nationals. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Cubs. I go back and forth on Madden. Sometimes I like him. Sometimes I find his whole wacky, nutty professor act a little tiresome, frankly. Um, so. Uh, and you know all, all the, the 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 effusive praise of all the young stars for the Cubs, like Kyle Schwarber and his 200 batting average, and Jason Hayward and his 180 million dollar contract. And you know it's okay that he's a corner outfielder who hits 250 with 10 home runs because he's so great at defense. I mean, you know, with all the stats nerds and the sabermetricians and all this nonsense. So I've got a little. Be in my bonnet, if you will, about the Cubs too. But I certainly would like to see them beat the Nationals. Uh, I'd like to see the Dodgers come out of the National League and be in the World Series. Uh, I just think they have the best team and the most entertaining team. Um, and they're up 2-0 on Arizona. They play tonight at 10 o'clock. I can almost guarantee you I will not see the end of that game, for sure. Um, Kershaw got a win, finally, but did not pitch particularly well. Gave up three home runs, I think it was, four runs overall, but the Red Sox had built a big lead. Uh, Puig has been uh, insane in the first two games. I mean, just absolutely crazy Um, as far as his offense is concerned. I believe he's got seven hits in the first two games. Uh, Dodgers scoring a ton of runs against a mediocre Arizona pitching staff. Not that surprising. I think I said this three weeks ago. Really wasn't that concerned about the Dodgers playing poorly down the stretch. Uh, the team is loaded. The, the, the only question there, again, was, you know, what was Dave Roberts going to do with some of the players? But um, that team is absolutely loaded. And, you know, the, the other big issue maybe was um, who's going to set up in front of Kenley Jansen. You know, Baez 
has gotten himself straightened out the last couple of weeks of the year. Again, I think they've got enough. You've got now, you know, starters going to the bullpen. They, they can figure it out. The Dodgers should be fine. Um, but that game for the Nationals, going back to that series the other night, was huge. I mean, they go down 2-0 and forget it. They're done. And now they've put themselves... And not, and not because... You know, obviously the, the the numbers are stacked against you being down 2-0. But also, you know, again, all the whispers, not even the whispers, just all the same questions would be coming up again. You know, the Nationals choking again in the playoffs, right? So, I mean, they won more games than the Cubs this year. I think they're slight favorites in this series. I mean, certainly, look, the Cubs are defending World Series champs, so losing to them, there's no great shame in that. Cubs are a good team. But... Again, I mean, if you're a Nationals fan or a Nationals follower, you know, at what point do they finally, you know, all this great talent with Bryce Harper and Zimmerman having a resurgent year and Strasburg and Scherzer, and they finally got their bullpen woes straightened out. I mean, if not now, when? So um, I think down 2-0, the, the pressure would have been even more immense and no shot they would have in that series. That, that win the other night was huge for them. And then again, as we said, Los Angeles, Arizona, they play tonight. Dodgers with a chance to close that series out. Let's hope they do it. All right, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back with week five in the NFL right after this. Here another edition of Jamal About Sports, Monday edition. That, of course, Kid Creole and the Coconuts with Endicott. I figured I'd play that for my boys, Justin, Ruben, and Johnny Turpak. I know they are loyal listeners, so that is for you, boys. All right, week five of the NFL. Lots to unpack here. Um, let's see, where do we begin? I guess we can begin with my Lions with a... Particularly poor effort yesterday. Got themselves back in the game late, but uh, really not a good effort overall, all around. Um, let one of my most hated players in the NFL, Cam Newton, get off, which is uh, even du- you know more doubly uh, you know insult to injury, if you will. Um, and then particularly in light of his idiotic comments about it was funny that a female reporter is talking about routes. You know, and that whole big brouhaha. Now, look, to his credit, he did issue, not to her, of course, but, you know, a seemingly uh, heartfelt apology, um, although he never directly apologized to her, which he would have preferred. Um, but at least, I guess, you know what? Now that I think about it, screw that. No. Because the bar is so low now, and of course he did have to throw the qualifier in if anybody was offended by this or whomever was offended by this, I apologize. I mean, I'm so sick of that nonsense. And yes, I guess I'm supposed to be impressed now that he, you know, he did a video uh, apology uh, rather than you know just issue one through his publicist. You know what? No, you know you don't get credit. Sorry, I've completely rethought that just now. No. And then yesterday he walks in, you know, with his another one of his clown outfits with a Rosie the Riveter pin on his hat. 
So, you know, whatever. He's so transparent. He is such a front runner. I mean, there he was yucking it up on the sidelines. Of course, because you won, right, Cam? And you were playing well. So you didn't have to pout like a little baby when things don't go your way. Please, what a classic front runner that guy is. I mean, when the chips are down, boy, does he go right into a shell. And unfortunately, the lines provided no resistance yesterday. Zero. They were so concerned, apparently, with stopping the run, which of which, by the way, the Panthers have no running game. I mean, Jonathan Stewart's a nice back, but he's not exactly, uh, you know, Tony Dorsett in his prime or Barry Sanders or, you know, anybody of that ilk. So, yeah, good job, Jim Caldwell. You, you held Carolina to 30 yards rushing. How'd that work out? The defense was awful yesterday. No pass rush. Darius Slay had one of the worst games of his career. Gave up the crucial third down completion at the end of the game at the line to cut it to three on a third and eight with a chance to get the ball back and give the ball back to Stafford one more time to at least try to tie the game, send it into overtime. Gives him an easy completion. Gets burned by fat, slow Kelvin Benjamin. Let's him run right past him for a 30-yard touchdown earlier in the game. And gave up a touchdown to Devin Funchett in the back of the end zone after losing him in coverage. Although, to be fair on that one, the defensive line did not help him out. They gave Newton way too much time and the receivers too much time to scramble. So the defense was bad. Got some stops later in the game, second half, when they needed Of course, again, just mentioned the big, biggest one, they couldn't get the ball back. On a third and eight with two minute, oh, over two minutes left in the game. Lions would have had plenty of time to, like I said, at least kick a field goal, a tie, or even take the lead for the win. But the real story is the offense for the Lions, by the way, is miserable and has been all year. Save for a couple of plays here or there in the Arizona game in week one, they did nothing against the Giants in week two, except for the two touchdowns, both which came on third down. But no yards and nothing after that. They got to remember they got a punt return for a touchdown in that game. They did very little against Atlanta. A bunch of field goals. They had those three turnovers. They didn't do anything with two of them. So yeah, they scored a lot of points. They also got a pick six in that game. So that was misleading. And yes, of course they should have had the touchdown late. They got overturned. But again, not a great offensive performance against the Falcons. Uh, did nothing against Minnesota last week. Scored one touchdown. And then yesterday, yes, they got three touchdowns. They got two late. The first one, you know, uh, Carolina started playing soft zone, which teams, you know, idiotically do. There was still plenty of time left. Uh, but then in the second one was even at, it was a short field because uh, Ron Rivera idiotically tried for a 55-yard field goal that they missed and gave the, set the lines up on a short field. And that made it 27-24. But the offense has been bad all year. They have no running game to speak of at all. I know they ran the ball fairly well. For them, they were thrilled that Amir Abdul had 94 yards against the Vikings. Uh, it was nowhere to be seen yesterday. The play calling is predictable. Their, uh, their formations are predictable. There's no misdirection. There's no creativity. And the Lions receivers flat out stink. Stink. Marvin Jones, I, I have no idea what he's even doing on the team. He's like a possession receiver. Golden Tate's a nice little player. He's not a difference maker. The Lions have nobody on their offense that keeps defensive coordinators up at night, except for Safford. The offensive line's not playing well either. 
part of that, I think, is a function, though, of the scheme itself. It's conservative to a fault. And then the biggest disaster of all is the tight end, who two more drops again yesterday, including on the first series of the game, dropped a touchdown in the end zone on third down. Lions had to settle for a field goal, stanched any momentum that the Lions had there. So, and then now, and then he gets into it with fans on Twitter after the game. Always a smart move. Because he got booed lustily yesterday. Then dropped a 20-yard pass later in the game in the fourth quarter. That, lucky for him, it was a free play. So the line still got five yards and a first down. But, would have been a big gainer. Lines ended up scoring anyway to the backup tight end, who now will be the starting tight end, Darren Fells. Because he actually can block unlike number 85, who is a pass-catching tight end who can't catch and does nothing else for you. Doesn't block, does nothing else for you. Gives you nothing in the run game because he doesn't block. And he's supposed to be this matchup nightmare. Where is it? I've never seen it. Name me one time you've seen the tight end for the Lions, number 85, beat a linebacker so badly in coverage that he's got five yards on the guy. Or... Outmuscle a smaller defensive back. Where is it? I've never seen it. He doesn't break tackles. He's as easy to tackle as players there is in a league. He had one touchdown last year receiving. One. And this is a matchup nightmare? The Lions need to either cut him to send the message to the team that regardless of your draft status, we don't care. Production is what matters, or at the very least, bench him. And now, by the way, he doesn't play that many snaps anymore either because he's so one-dimensional and he's not even good at that one dimension. But unless, barring some miraculous turnaround, which again, I don't see it. This was the book on him coming out of college. He was a pass-catching tight end who had issues with drops. I don't understand how those two things go hand in hand, by the way. Pun intended. (laughs) How are you a pass-catching tight end who has drops issues? And, you know, please, Lions beat writers. Enough with you with the top 10 tight end last year. In statistics only. Big deal. When it counts, he never shows up. I.E. playoff game against Seattle last year. Third and five. Stafford drills in between the eight and the five. He drops the ball. So he's got to go. Gots to go. So look, just a wretched overall performance yesterday. Looked better because the line scored twice late. Stafford beat to hell. He's got a bad ankle. He's got a bad thigh. Gutted it out. Did not play particularly well yesterday. But again, the lines don't give him much help. The play calling doesn't help. The receivers stink. I mean, they need, I, I, I hate to say this, they need Kenny Galladay back in the worst way because he's the only receiver on that team who's just physically, even if he's covered, is not covered and could just go and make a play sometimes and might just be better physically than the other guy. The rest of the team is not like that. Golden Tate, look, he's limited physically. He tries. He's a nice player. But he's not going to just go beat somebody. He's not Odell Beckham. He's not Des Bryant. He's not Jordy Nelson. He's not one of these guys who's physically imposing. 
And Marvin Jones, Marvin Jones, listen, I'll be the first to admit it. I was dead wrong. I thought it was a shrewd, savvy signing. He's been a massive disappointment. Massive. I mean, again, he's okay as like a third receiver, but the Lions are paying him number one receiver money. I mean, he's a nice guy. He tries hard. I mean, I have nothing against the guy. I'm just talking about purely from a production standpoint. He's just not that good. I mean, Stafford's running around for his life. Can these guys ever scramble back and help their quarterback? Can you ever get separation once? So, look, I said I'd be happy with 3-3. and 3-3 is looking awfully likely now going into the bye. And, boy, I am praying they get Taylor Decker back for the game against the Steelers on Sunday night after the bye. Because Greg Robinson is not the answer at left tackle. After a pretty solid week one against Chandler Jones and the Cardinals, he's been pretty much a disaster. Now, it's not just him, by the way. The rest of the line has not... There have been breakdowns across the board. But he in particular is an issue. Now, can the Lions go beat the Saints in New Orleans? Of course they can. They did it last year. But the Saints are coming off a bye. Stafford's banged up. I mean, I suspect he'll play, but right now there's no guarantee that he's going to play Sunday. Now, I still think the Lions could go in there and win with Jake Rudock, a quarterback. I do. I know that sounds crazy, but I do. And this game may be a blessing in disguise because maybe, just maybe, they'll take a long, hard look at this overly conservative approach on offense and understand now they need to start trying to air some things out and take some shots and try to, you know, create some mismatches schematically and realize that, look, we don't have guys that can just beat guys one-on-one. So you may have to game plan and scheme some things to pop some big plays. All right, moving on. Oh, the Giants. Oh, the Giants. Another miserable game for the Giants yesterday. Lose to the Chargers at home. I doubled down on the Giants. I took them in my suicide pool. And with the Steelers having lost yesterday, which a lot of other people took, I would have still been alive and in good shape. And they let me down. And, of course, all Giants fans, they let down. Season over. Beckham, broken ankle or leg. His season over. Uh, I don't see any way how Jerry Reese survives uh, after this year. I mean, it's not like the Giants to fire people in the middle of the season. So I suspect... They'll let they'll ride out the rest of the year with McAdoo and Reese, but I'd be very surprised if either of those guys are back next year. And by the way, uh, where is this great Giants defense that I keep hearing about? They've had chances now three weeks in a row to get off the field and make a stop and preserve a lead, and they haven't done it. Now, to be fair, Eli had a wretched game yesterday. Part of it is not his fault because, again, he's running for his life on almost every play. All the Giants receivers by the end of the game were hurt. Sterling Shepard hurt, Brandon Marshall hurt, Beckham hurt. The only guy they had was Roger Lewis. They were basically making Evan Ingram into a wide receiver. But I'm sorry, Eli, when you got sacked there at the end of the game, you know, you got to hold on to the ball. I understand Ingram flung you to the ground. You can't just pop, cough the ball up like that. You got to put two hands on the ball and understand the situation. 
And that fumble set the charges up, you know, at like the 10-yard line. And, of course, on third down, Steve Spagnuolo thinks it's wise to have Keenan Robinson trying to cover Melvin Gordon out of the backfield after he'd already burned you out of the backfield before the touchdown catch. And he has a second one of the day, game over. I mean, the Giants got the ball back with a chance, but you knew, you pretty much knew at that point, with no receivers healthy other than Roger Lewis, and that bad offensive line, the Chargers have a good pass rush with guys like Engram and Joey Bosa and Corey Legit. And, you know, what happens? Ball gets tipped, interception, game over. So it's not all on Eli, but he was not great yesterday. Again, Giants are not doing much to help him. And I'm sorry, that falls on the general manager. They've ignored this offensive line for far too long, particularly the tackles. You know, Rick Berg uh, was a decent draft pick. Pugh was before, I think, or not. That was Reese. He's okay. But, you know, John Jerry's not very good. Bobby Hart's not very good. And Eric Flowers is not very good. So, and again, this defense is supposed to be great. Now, again, to be fair, um, they're on the field a lot. But three weeks in a row, they've had a chance with a lead to get off the field and couldn't do it. So, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I was still believing in the Giants at 0-4. I mean, at 0-3, I was a believer. I thought they would win their next couple of games and get to 2-3 and be right back in the mix. 0-5, season over. And, I mean, you look, uh, Odell Beckham's pained expression and, and literal tears yesterday pretty much summed up the whole Giants season. Uh, the other New York team, the Jets, winning again uh, in extremely ugly fashion against the Browns. 17-14. Browns moved the ball very well, weirdly enough, against the Jets' defense. Uh, but three critical turnovers inside the red zone. Catton uh, Zarrow makes a 57-yard field goal at halftime to put the Jets up 3-0 at half. I mean, one of the uglier halves of football you'll ever see. And look, give the Jets credit. They, they beat a bad team yesterday. And the Browns are just an absolute mess. When the Browns went up, I think it was 10-7 in that game yesterday. It's the first time they had had a lead all season long. That's how bad the Browns are. Uh, They benched Kaiser for Kevin Hogan. Uh, They're a mess. So, look, the Jets are 3-2. They're not finishing, you know, they're not going to have a winning record. But, look, give them credit. Speaking of which, Jacksonville, who the Jets beat the week before, Another, you know, look, you can't figure this through. As soon as you think you know anything about this league, then you realize you don't know anything. Jacksonville crushes the Steelers yesterday 30-9. to Roethlisberger throws five interceptions, including two return for touchdowns. Um, Le'Veon Bell still hasn't gotten rolling yet. Steelers look like they're a, a bit of a mess. They're still 3-2. and two. And Leonard Fournette just to seal the deal with a 90-yard touchdown run. Um, so who could figure Jacksonville out? I mean, they blow out Houston, they blow out Pittsburgh, and they lose to the Jets. You know, and again, Blake Bortles is still their quarterback, but he didn't have to do anything yesterday. They got three touchdowns, two on defense, and one on a 90-yard touchdown run from the running back. Who's other, and he scored another touchdown where he literally took off from the five-yard line and flew over the goal line, looked like Walter Payton, except this guy's about 240 pounds. 
He's a stud. That was a great pick. Sunday night game, Kansas City beat Houston. J.J. Watt broke his leg. He's out for the year. Sad to see that. And listen, when you're wrong, you're wrong. I used to kill Alex Smith on this show when he was on San Francisco. You know, was more appreciative of him when he was with when he went to the Chiefs. He has been unbelievable this year. And that Chiefs offense is the best offense in the league. I mean, with my man Kareem Hunt back there running back, they've got a great tight end in Travis Kelsey. Um, they've got Tyreek Hill, uh, Albert Wilson, um, DeAnthony Thomas. I mean, uh, a very creative approach from Andy Reid. All kinds of motion, misdirection plays, shovel passes, read options. They throw the ball deep. I mean, they are as exciting an offense as there is to watch. And Alex Smith has been fantastic. Has no turnover so far, first five games of the year. Zero. He's been tremendous. He's been the best quarterback in the league so far this year. And that includes Tom Brady. Chiefs 5-0 look like the best team in the league. And on defense, they can rush the passer. They've got a great cover corner in Peters. Derek Johnson's still getting it done at linebacker. Justin Houston, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. They lose Eric Berry. They don't miss a beat. They look like an, they, they they look excellent right now. And then we go to the Green Bay Dallas game, where uh, so first of all, this would be the only time I would pretty much most one of the few times I would ever root for the Cowboys. Obviously, is when they're playing the Packers. Um, but in light of Jerry Jones's latest stance, which is if players kneel during the national anthem, they will be benched. Um, I'm glad the Packers won. And I hope the Cowboys lose every game for the rest of his miserable existence. What a fraud of a human being Jerry Jones is. So let me get this right, Jerry. Players who kneel won't play, but you're happy to sign serial woman abuser Greg Hardy, right? You're happy to have him on your team. That's okay. But if a guy silently protests, and it's not the national anthem, by the way, or maybe it is, but it's not the flag, and it's not our troops, and it's not America, stop feeding into the false narrative that the idiot-in-chief has been putting out there, that this is somehow an anti-American protest that's not. And I see the Dolphins just did this same stupid thing, too. I mean, I've, always, I've, I've never had any respect for that organization to begin with just because they're a joke. And they somehow managed to win a game yesterday. They had no business winning. Jake Cutler stinks with his 90 yards passing yesterday. But there's Jerry Jones telling guys they won't play if they kneel. What a disgrace this guy is. But Greg Hardy, come on down, man. Yeah, as long as you can get to the quarterback. Beat as many women as you want, Greg. As long as you stand for that national anthem. Getting to the actual game, 
Cowboys scored with about a minute, 13 seconds left to go up by three. And everybody in the whole world knew you left Green Bay way too much time. I mean, the field goal was a fait complete. There was no doubt that at the very least, Green Bay was going to kick a field goal there and send the game into overtime. It was just a question of, do they, are they going to score the touchdown to win or are they going to get a field goal? They scored a touchdown to win. Perfect throw from Aaron Rodgers. Um, and to Buck and Aikman's credit, they were saying when Dallas had the ball, you know, they threw the ball on first down. Dallas had run the ball that whole last series, that whole last possession, and were taking time off the clock with an eye, you thought, on not giving Aaron Rodgers any time or giving him as little time as possible. And then they went and threw the ball on first down, threw it out of bounds, stopped the clock, ran a play, ran another play, Dak scored on his, on the read option. I mean, look, I know it's a lot to probably ask him to take a knee at the one because if Dallas didn't get in and score there, if somehow Green Bay rose up and stuffed him four plays in a row, of course they'd get killed for that. But what are you doing throwing the ball on first down? Even if you don't get any yards, that's fine. Let the clock run out. Poor clock management. Bad job, Jason Garrett. And like I said, ordinarily I'd be so angry Green Bay lost. I'm glad they won now. You know what, Lions? If you want to win the division, stop worrying about Green Bay losing. Go beat Green Bay twice. How about that? Go beat them twice and finish with a better record. Stop worrying about relying on other teams to beat the Packers. You have two shots at them this year. How about you go beat them? And Jerry Jones, again, just proving exactly who he is. Actually, I called him a fraud. He's not a fraud at all. It's the exact opposite. He's exactly, to to quote the late, great Dennis Green, Jerry Jones exactly who we thought he is. Which is a horrible human being. And a damn hypocrite. Which then brings us to our lovely vice president with his PR stunt nonsense showing up at a Colts game. I don't know that he even knows what a football game is. And there he was with his wife, a.k.a. mother. And then he staged a walkout in protest. His, because I will not stand by while they disrespect our flag. Again, nobody's disrespecting the flag, idiot. And again, this is what you guys are spending your time on. World War III is literally trending as a topic on Twitter because of this idiot's obsession with getting into a war of words with North Korea. And this is what you two clowns are spending time on. And Trump tweeting out, oh, good for Jerry Jones. He's a winner. Uh-huh. I haven't done a lot of winning last time I checked, by the way. When's the last time they won a Super Bowl? Oh, that's right, when Jimmy Johnson was there. I mean, as if you needed any more reason to not like the Cowboys. And then the running back, too. I mean, would you knock it off? By the way, anyone be surprised if uh, triple chin Zeke Elliott is going to eat himself out of the league in about the next three years? Anyone? And that's assuming, by the way, he can keep himself out of trouble and is actually allowed to play. Because the suspension will be coming at some point, I think. But keep doing your thing with the feed me and the first down signaling every time you get a first down. Keep doing that. 
Don't be appreciative of the fact that you're even allowed to play right now because of some, you know, legal technicality. You should already be suspended for your idiotic behavior. Be more tone deaf if you get a chance. I will wrap it up with a little college stuff. So, my Georgia Bulldogs with a good win blew out Vanderbilt. Who look, I know it's Vanderbilt, but you know they got off to a good start. They got humbled by Alabama. No great shame there. Alabama humbles everybody. Uh, but it looks like we are uh, moving ever closer. I know it's still fairly early in the college season. But we are inexorably moving towards a Georgia-Alabama SEC title game. And again, we'll see. Georgia has been here before under Mark Richt and have stubbed their toe. Maybe things are different now with Kirby Smart. They've got the two-headed monster in the backfield with Chubb and Michelle. From the freshman quarterbacks making enough plays. That defense looks like it's really talented. So we'll see. My Terps, embarrassed by Ohio State, displaying yet again that we are not even close to being uh, a real franchise, a real program. We're not. We're just not. Now, I didn't expect to go into Ohio State and beat Ohio State, but 62-14 to 14 shows me that DJ Durkin has done zero to improve this program. Zero. And I understand he'll sit there and smile and be all positive and clap and tell the rest of the world that, you know, the results, it's that you can't necessarily judge it by results and all this other nonsense. And to be fair, they are on a third-string quarterback. But they looked like they wanted no part of Ohio State. At least the offense did. None. And the defense wasn't great either, obviously. They gave up 62 points. And they let T.J. Barrett, who's not even really a good passing quarterback, throw all over them. So, but, you know, they were in a hole early. Um, so the state of Maryland football uh, is not good. It's not good. You know, we were all jazzed after the Texas win. And then even last week, they went on the road and beat Minnesota. Not that Minnesota's great, but they're, you know, they're not... Rutgers, they're an, a respectable program, and you go win on the road in your conference, you take it. This week will be the test to me. Home against Northwestern. Again, a reputable Big Ten program. Northwestern will upset some of the top tier teams from time to time. Pat Fitzgerald's a very good coach. It's a home game for Maryland. Figure out a way to get a win, figure it out. You want to prove to me, you want me to think things are different, Coach Durkin? Beat Northwestern this week at home. And then the big upset, of course, was Oklahoma losing at home to Iowa State. Oklahoma was a 31-point favorite and lost. So that's going to throw a lot of things out of whack as far as uh, the potential playoff picture is concerned the Big 12, and everything else. So that certainly bears some watching. USC got back on the beam with an easy win over Oregon State. Look, there's a lot of college football left to be played. So um, a lot of things will change. Michigan lost to Michigan State. 
Penn State still hasn't played anybody yet this year. Be interesting to see what happens when they actually play a real team. All right, I guess Iowa was a real team. And they won by the skin of their teeth. All right, that's it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check me out on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter, at JamalAboutSportNOS. And also on Facebook. Big, uh, as we said, Yanks Indians tonight. We've got Monday Night Football. The Mitchell Trubisky era gets ushered in as the Bears take on the Vikings. Enjoy the sports for the rest of the week. We'll be back next week with another show. Until then, peace out.